Hey there, what's up everybody? Welcome to Evoke Greatness. This podcast was created for those of you who, like me, are driven by their curious nature and fascination with the champion mindset. If you have an insatiable hunger for growth and knowledge, or maybe you're just curious on how some of the most successful people have navigated their journey, we share the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, and all the lessons learned along the way. It doesn't matter what chapter you are on in your story. Maybe you're just getting started, or heck, maybe you're halfway through. What I know is where intention goes, energy flows. It's my most sincere hope that you will hear something in one or maybe many of these episodes that resonates with you and reminds you that you are not in this alone. As we venture into year two, I hope that you find a sense of connection and community when you're here because we all deserve a place where we belong. My name is Sunny, and I am so glad you're here. If you're new, there's a few things you want to know about me. I am a huge book nerd and a wee bit of a control enthusiast with an obsession for motivational coffee cups. I believe that a rising tide raises all ships, and I invite you along in this journey to evoke greatness. Welcome back to another episode of Evoke Greatness. My guest today is Carrie Schwer. Carrie is the founder of Gray Tonic. She's an executive lifestyle coach, speaker, and co-author of the number one Amazon bestseller, The Successful Mind, Tools to Living a Purposeful, Productive, and Happy Life. Welcome, Carrie. Thanks, Sunny. So excited to be with you today. Well, we got the opportunity to speak together a couple of months ago, and I was fascinated with what you've done with your business and the creation and evolution of not only life, but business as well, personally and professionally. And so I want to dive right in. And I would love for you to share what gray area drinking is and the story behind how your business was really brought to life. Oh, gosh. Well, let me start with gray area drinking. So gray area drinking is a wide spectrum of drinkers that fall into this category. And as somebody who is just more than just a take it or leave it type drinker, a mild social drinker, but they're not yet severely abusing alcohol to the point of needing it to survive. And this this really is a huge number of drinkers. An estimated amount would be about 50% of those who consume alcohol, maybe in this gray area. So we're talking about a lot of people. And it's a place where it's it's not a bad place to be, but it's a place that you want to pay attention. You want to listen to your inner voice and the, the the things that you're asking yourself deep internally, like, could I be drinking too much? How am I showing up for others? How is alcohol working for me or not working for me? And I think it's important that we pay attention to those internal questions. Really question the drink is what my motto is. You know, it's it's not about necessarily needing to quit, although no amount of alcohol is considered healthy. And I abstain from alcohol. It's been almost seven years since I've had any. But I think it's it's more important to really question how alcohol is working for you or not working for you. And if it's not, it's really paying attention to that. And then to answer your other question, how how this started with with me and how I got into this is just a complete gift. (laughs) I never expected to A, go into coaching, have my own business, or let alone share my story with the world. I did go the traditional route. And when I say traditional route, I am talking AA. When I first decided to uh, look at my relationship with alcohol, I didn't know 
anyone like me existed in 2016. I thought that was my only option. And while I loved the program and stand behind it, it was not a good fit for me. Again, because I didn't identify as being an alcoholic, I knew that alcohol was becoming a problem, but I didn't necessarily buy into this uh, that I'm an alcoholic, nor did I identify with it. And that's okay. Everybody has their place. There's multiple routes in which someone can take. So after I left AA, I ended up working with a coach and he is the one who said to me, Carrie, I think someday you could be a coach and I think you might start your own business. And I think you're going to share your story with the world. And I was like, um, no, no, and hell no. <laughs> That's never going to happen. But little did I know, he saw things in me that I didn't see. So fast forward, I'm in church. I'm going to start a small group uh, at the church, and I wanted to. And they already had a recovery group. And the church said, well, what kind of group do you want to start then? And I said, well, something along the lines with gray areas. And he said, "They well, they said, you know, we already have the recovery group. We don't know if it's going to be a fit. So." we're going to pass on it. And I was so taken back by that. Yeah. And I, I thank the church now because if it wasn't for the church saying no, gray tonic would not exist. So I left that day and my girlfriend called and said, what's wrong? And I told her the story. She said, why are you allowing the church to dictate what you want to do? Just start something on your own. And I said, yeah, I'll show them. And that's how it started. So it was, it was not something I set out to do, but then I realized, oh my gosh, my coach, Everything he said is now the truth. This is this is my life, and, and I'm coming up on my fifth year uh, in business. So it is unbelievable to me how life unfolds just as it should when it needs to, and that's how I got into business. Well, I can't wait to dive into all the different facets of this, but something you've talked about is being about discovery and not recovery, and it, it jarred my thought when you mentioned AA, and so can you share more about what does that mean? Yes. So it for me, it is so much about discovering, again, who we are. And our identity, Sunny, is wh- who we believe we are is what drives our behaviors. And I didn't realize this until I became a coach and I went through multiple certifications to learn this. But I didn't realize that what I believed about myself is what was driving my behaviors. And we can look at anybody and see what they're what they believe about themselves is is pretty obvious for most people not not everybody but for most people we can get an idea if you see someone fit and you know at the you know they go to the gym you know they eat clean you have a clue as to what they believe about themselves that's what i'm talking about here but what we don't see is what they really feel inside this internal feeling about themselves and this can really be damaging and self sabotaging if we're not careful so for me it's about discovering who we are, and more importantly, who we wish to be. And with recovery, we, you know, we're focused on, on very much the disease model of addiction. And we're, and we're working through that, how somebody believes that they are, that they're hardwired this way, that they were born this way. And I'm not going to debate that issue, although I know there, it can be both sides of the fence on that. But what I am going to say is for me, it's more about discovering the why, discovering the who, and, and what it is that you want to be and, and who you want to be as you continue forward. That is more important for me to, to help somebody through that. And I was thinking about, you know, I think many people take things to the extreme. Be, be what it may, right? You've got, you've got drinking, you've got working, you've got exercising, dieting, gambling, like everything can be taken to the extreme. And so I'm curious, in your experience and research, why do some people 
experience or kind of lean into these extreme behaviors? Again, it goes back to their identity. A lot of it goes back to um, their childhood, the experiences that they've had, how we're how we're formed, and the behaviors that we do is from our past experiences, things that we learned as we were children, and we experience it over and over again, and that becomes our our truth. It becomes a belief system, and our belief system is what's driving a lot of our thoughts. And then from our thoughts, we have feelings that bubble up for us. We all, we're so driven by emotion. As human beings, everything we do is emotionally driven. That's what drives our behaviors is the emotion. And from that, then we have an action. And the action can come out based on how we're feeling. So this is why somebody might self-sabotage and drink why they might overeat, you know, emotionally eat. Why instead of attacking their homework or a project that they're working on or planning for a meeting, they might distract themselves by scrolling through TikTok or Instagram or Facebook because that's much easier to do and they get the dopamine hits from that. So we have all kinds of behaviors that we do. Not all of them are self-sabotaging, right? I mean, we all have some behaviors that are good for us. So not all behaviors are considered bad, but it's one of those things that you know, it, it really can be, um, looked upon as what, what were we thinking about? How did we get there? And what is the belief system that we've had up to this point? And that again is what drives a lot of our behaviors. Yeah. And that's such a fascinating topic because you're right. It's not always to the negative. There can be, you can kind of lean into some extremes that are, are way better for you, but I think extreme of any sort can be dangerous, right? What be it, be it positive or be it negative. Yes, yes, 100%. I mean, we have good behaviors too, right? Right. So if we feel good, we might do something beneficial for ourselves. But if we feel bad, what we do is we run from the feeling or trying to chase a feeling. And this is why we want to escape from it. So the pressures of the world and the stress that we're under, and you know, maybe it's a, a conversation that you had with somebody that got you feeling down upon yourself. You know, we might want to escape that. We don't want to feel bad. We want to get away from that feeling. So this is why we turn to habits that don't serve us well. Instead, my approach and how I work with clients is to help them, A, find out what their identity is, help them navigate through that. That's number one. The second thing is really discover the reason why they want to make the change. Why now? What's at stake? What is important? What is the values? What is the grounding force for you? And then really looking at the the benefits for them. They have to see that there's a big benefit here and to align align their behaviors that's going to work and help them. I mean, we can't expect somebody who's never done something before to go full speed and full throttle. We have to take baby steps and micro wins to get there. So for me, it's about taking things one at a time and encouraging and finding those micro wins to keep the momentum going because otherwise we're going to fizzle out and we're going to give up, which is what happens with most behavioral change that we try to implement. Right. I know in my corporate career, I have been a part of some organizations where drinking has really been a big part of the culture. It's kind of been that after hours thing or you go to conferences or you go, you have meetings and, and that's a big part of it. So I'm curious, how often do you see this? And is this is this kind of the environment where some of your clients come from? And, and how do they really navigate that? Because that's that can be really challenging. 
Yeah, the culture is a huge issue for so many people. You know, our society really has put alcohol at the forefront for networking events, socializing events, and this becomes a natural thing. It's almost as if somebody didn't want to have a drink. Let's just say they're they're drinkers, but they just don't feel like having a drink. They're going to feel culturally pressured to partake in having a drink if they see somebody else doing it. You know, it's it's kind of funny to say this as adults, but monkey see, monkey do. Right. We want to feel like we belong. So there's that connection piece, that communal piece that we want to be able to feel as though we're accepted and we belong and we're part of the masses as opposed to standing out. So a lot of times when someone is questioning the relationship with alcohol, they, they might, especially in the beginning, tend to give in to saying, yes, I'll just have one so they can feel like they belong versus standing out and saying, no, this is, you know, I'm choosing not to drink tonight or no, I'm, I'm good for club soda for now, but thanks. You know, coming up with some words that they can say that, to get others kind of off their back, if you will, from asking the question, like, why aren't you drinking tonight? Because it's it, the tide is turning though, Sunny. I want to say the tide is now turning that we are getting to a place where it's becoming normal for people to say no to having an alcoholic drink while we're out. There are, People are becoming more health conscious, especially after COVID. We're really starting to see that you know people want to get up early. They want to get to the gym. They want to feel great about themselves. They want to make really good decisions for themselves. And they see that alcohol is no longer playing a part in that. And so I'm loving how things are taking a turn. But for those that are still finding themselves in that, that great, area of like, oh gosh, I know I should be looking at my relationship. I know I should only have one drink instead of three. I, you know, or I'll only drink on the weekends. They start playing games with themselves. You know, that's when I say, hey, let's let's hit pause for a moment. And there's no judgment. There's no judgment whatsoever. Just get really curious with yourself. Like, is this starting to become a problem? And the answer there is, if you think it's becoming a problem for you, it probably is becoming a problem. And that's when you really want to pay attention to that inner voice. Yeah, completely agree. What does the process look like when someone seeks you out? You know, maybe they're maybe they're in that place of contemplating, do they really need to take a deeper look? You know, I think that probably people maybe sit on the fence for a little while before they really lean into the commitment of that. And so what does that look like for someone who's just seeking you out and, and what could they look forward to? Yes, very good question. So you bring up a, a kind of two points without knowing. So when someone is in the gray area of any part of their life, it could be a gray area with their relationship or their marriage or their career or their spirituality, whatever it is, their health even. If it's not that bad, Sunny, more, more times than not, they're not going to take action. Mm. Something almost has to happen, a wake-up call, um, no rock bottom. I'm not talking about a rock bottom here. I'm just talking something that causes them to have their own enough, you know, quote unquote, their own enough, whatever that looks like. For me, that was a conversation that I had with my 23-year-old son at the time. I said some very ugly words to him, things that no mother should ever say to their kid. And he repeated that back to me the next day when I was free of alcohol and I was clear-minded the next day. He re re repeated back to me what I'd said, and I was devastated. That was my own enough. So it looks different for everybody. So somebody 
needs to get to that point where they see that if they don't make some sort of change, the pain is going to be greater. Perhaps it's a marriage that's about to break up, you know, a long-term marriage particularly. They've worked really hard. They have kids. They know if they don't get this under control and they lose this marriage, you know, and maybe it's not alcohol related. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, they're looking elsewhere outside the marriage. Maybe they're looking at someone else that they're having those, you know, quick little dopamine hits of looking at the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever, is feeling like they're they're getting the attention and they're not getting it home. These are the sorts of things where we have to go, okay, woo, what is going to happen if you don't get this under control? And it's the pain that's involved with that that eventually gets them to say, all right, I'm a high I'm a high achiever here. I'm a professional and I know I know that at this point in my life if I don't make a significant change, I risk everything. Mm. I risk my marriage, I risk my career, I risk my relationship with my kids. I could get a DUI. I could cause massive issues, especially somebody who has a license who you know is a physician or a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer if they get pulled over and they get a DUI they are running a significant risk let alone anybody else right so it's all those questions and here's another good question to ask somebody especially with drinking could you get up in the middle of the night if there was an emergency and drive yourself to the emergency room or a loved one or could you make cognitive decisions that would get you out of a significant jam if you were drinking, like, would that be possible? These are some real questions to be asking yourself. And again, this is no judgment around anybody who decides to drink. I'm not on a crusade against alcohol at all. What I'm on a crusade for is for people to pay attention to the inner voice. Again, it's questioning, not just questioning the drink, questioning your relationship, questioning your career, questioning your motive, questioning your health. Those are the important questions that I want to make sure someone is asking themselves before they get too far down a path that they're wishing they didn't go down. Yeah. And I'm, that's worth rewinding this, you know, going back and listening to this again, rewind this 30 or 45 seconds and really think through the questions that Carrie's asking. You know, really get reflective on that because I think it's incredibly important. And and oftentimes, I think, you know, a lot of my audience is senior and executive level women. And we may be in those positions a lot where we are having those contemplating thoughts or conversations around the environment or the habits, the things that we're doing. And so definitely worth going back and, and taking a listen to those again to just really get reflective on them. You have something called the DECIDE method, uh, and that's in support of creating lasting habits. Can you walk through the acronym and, and really what is that method? I do want to just go back for half a second because you said a word that is so important, which is contemplation, contemplating where they are. And and there really is six stages to making any sort of change. And pre-contemplation is the first stage. And then we do move into contemplation. And that's where we start to ask those questions. That is literally the best start place to start because you're asking those internal questions. And then the next stage is moving into preparation. And this is when you're gathering information, you're listening to podcasts like this one. Like, what is this about? Like, could this be me? And maybe I should take action, right? So that's the preparation stage when you're starting to ask those questions and get things into motion. And then we actually move into action. That's the next stage. And then from action, we move into maintenance. There is a sixth step, which is relapse. We're going to skip that because we're going to pretend that never happens. 
But those are the six stages of change. And I think it's important for people to know the process in making a change. It's not like, okay, just one day you wake up and say, that's it, I'm doing this. You naturally will go through this process as you decide to make a change, whether it is working on the marriage or ending the marriage, or it is you know, working on your health because you are getting overweight or whatever it is. It's not just about drinking. So moving on to the side model, this is a powerful way to make a decision. First of all, I love the word decide. Decide to me, it's more than just a choice. It's you're putting your foot down. It's almost my, It's almost similar to the word declare. Mm. When we make a decision and we decide on something, we're declaring to ourselves what we want. And so I've broken down the, the word decide into an actionable process that works for every situation. So I'll explain what it is. The D is having a desire to make the change. You have to want to make the change. You can't be forced into it. You can't have somebody else want it bad enough for you. I get asked all the time, Carrie, I have a relative or or my spouse or whatever is, is doing this too much. Can you help? The answer is no. No, I can't. I can only help somebody and support somebody if they actually want to make the change. So the first D is having that desire. The E, oh, this is the most important one. The E is exploring your why. I want to emphasize the word explore here. You have to go deep. It has to be something of value to you, something that is significantly of value. Most often, Sunny, it's going to be a relationship with a spouse or kids or a family member or someone close to you, a partner of some sort. It will also tend to be health, a health reason. It can be related to money or finance or your career in some sort. It has to be something that is moving you. But the why is so important because it becomes your grounding force. It's your anchor as you move through this process. That's why it has to be so big. It's like it has to keep you in place because guess what? Something is going to knock you off your rocker after you decide to make this change. And if your why isn't big enough, you're going to get knocked off. So having that really tight, tight why is extremely important. Then we move on to the C. It's having commitment to self. This is huge too, because if we're not committed to the commitment 100%, we will always find the backdoor excuse to weasel our way out of it at any given time. And this is, again, why the why becomes the anchor. And the commitment to self can also feel a little bit selfish because we have to turn the focus on us first. And this can be uncomfortable, especially if someone's a people pleaser, if they're a helper and they're a giver. And people in the medical community are certainly that. I was in the medical field as well, and I still am that person. I'm the helper. I'm a two on the Enneagram. I know you're an eight. I read about (laughs) you being an eight. And as a two, (laughs) I'm a helper. So I want to be able to help, right? So we tend to be a little bit on the people-pleasing side. So we have to turn the clock inwards. It's like this: the old adage of on the flight attendant says, you know, put the oxygen mask on you first. Same thing goes here. We need to be committed to ourselves first. The I, here's another big one, invest mm. in self. And it doesn't just mean 
sometimes needing to put some resources, aka money, into the situation. But it's more importantly, it's about time. It's about the time commitment. It's about showing up for yourself. It's about being disciplined enough to say yes to, I'm going to put some skin in the game. I want to put some skin in the game. If there's no skin in the game, you're not going to do it. Think about the last time you signed up for something that was free. You didn't put a whole lot of value into it. If you missed it, eh, no big deal. You didn't miss anything. It's like I work out with a personal trainer, Sonny. I pay somebody to work out with me to help me stay committed and, and show up. And it's an accountability. So the investment piece is huge. We can't see our own blind spots. Just like when I worked with that coach, he saw things way past what I could ever see. If it wasn't for him, I would not be sitting right here talking to you today. So it's important to have the investment, have somebody hold up a mirror for you, a guiding North person that's going to show you. They're not there to direct you. They're there to support you and guide you. That's what a coach is. That's what a mentor is or a therapist or a counselor or a pastor or whoever you want to invest your time with. But just know you can't always do it on your own. You can, but it's going to take you a little bit longer and it's going to be harder. If you invest in yourself and you put skin in the game, you're going to show up and do it. The second D is daily habits. I could talk for two hours about daily habits. So instead, I'll just say this. If we don't have a routine that works for us and implementing the habits that work well, we will fall to dust very quickly. We must incorporate habits that are encouraging and edifying. I like to say it's putting on a suit of armor every day. If we have a good, solid morning routine, it's like we stepped into a suit of armor, we zipped it up, and now we can handle anything and everything that comes at us. We repel it off of us. So the suit of armor, daily habits, is crucial. The last E is putting it all together. It's everyday effort will bring you to expansion. If we don't put the everyday effort in, again, when we fall off the wagon too many days in a row, it takes so much more momentum to get back on track. One of my favorite authors is Robin Sharma. He has a great book. We probably heard of it. You probably heard of it, The 5 a.m. Club. Also, oh my gosh, The Everyday Hero Manifesto is one of my favorite books. But what he talks about is when we falter or we fall off of a daily routine that we're trying to incorporate or implement or change. If we don't stay consistent and we miss a day, okay, we can probably miss a day and get back on. But if we miss two or three days, my goodness, the effort to get back onto that is so much harder. It's like a rocket ship taking off. It takes more fuel to get up and out into orbit than it does, you know, it takes then once we're out in orbit, right? So we have to think of ourselves as rocket ships. We need the fuel up front. And if we incorporate good daily habits and then we just apply effort, just a little bit of effort every day, we will reach our goals. And that is how the decide model works. I love that so much. And, and I don't even want to pigeonhole this gray area concept because it's not just about drinking. And so I know that, I mean, you can apply this to so many different areas of life, personal or professional. And so I know that you do some executive workshops as well for organizations. You want to, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah. So I thank you for asking. So the power of decide is one of my signature workshops, and it really is about looking not just at drinking. I don't even lead with drinking because it's such a sensitive subject. But once I get talking and I weave in my own personal story, that's when people's hands kind of go up like, oh, that's me. You know, I'm doing something that I, I know I need a behavioral change. But the importance, the power of decide, especially in the workplace, why it's so powerful is that we can look at our colleagues and our staff and our team members, and we can see that people are hurting. We're in a world right now that we have so much suffering going on. And when I say suffering, I'm not talking about people right away get this picture of, you know, deep suffering. And yes, that is going on too. But suffering in the sense that our mental capacity is at stake. We have so many things bombarding us. Look at all the school shootings and the mass shootings we're having and the mental illnesses that we have. People are hurting in general. We don't know what somebody's going through. And to have the open conversation of, you know, let's find ways and daily habits that can really strengthen you. Let's talk about how the mind works and how we we have the ability to change our own belief system and our identity, what we can do to empower each other. And not only does this help absenteeism, it helps the mental awareness piece, but it also helps Put the focus on the people first instead of profit. Because if your people are healthy and well and they are thriving and excited about life and they have a collaborative spirit, which with my leadership training, that's I bring that piece into it as well. I'm very much about team organization and changing the dynamics of a team so they can understand and see each other. Once they have that compassion and understanding for others and they apply all of this with the decide model in there, and we kind of go through a whole breakdown with that, whoa, I promise it changes the culture. It changes the way people show up because they get excited. They get excited about doing the best and supporting each other because that's what people want, Sunny. They want to be seen, heard, loved, accepted, and they want to know that what they do matters and what they do at work matters and it's being recognized. That's all we want as human beings. Yeah. And truly, isn't that the definition of culture, right? It's how you feel when you show up in the workplace. Yes. Yes. We want that commonality. We want the camaraderie. We want to be seen. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We just really want that. And when we can, when I can show people like how you show up, what your tendencies are, what your weapons are, I use a system called the five voices. And when we really can see somebody for who they are, this literally changes the dynamics of the team. We have a compassion for one another. It's like knowing you're an eight. I know I can see you differently because I'm very well versed on the Enneagram. I know, I know what your tendencies are. I know what your emotional levels are. And even just knowing that about you, I know how to communicate better with you. Can you imagine if we knew this about each other? And the five voices, the reason why I like that is it's simplified. It's not so big and cumbersome like the Enneagram can be and knowing what's the number mean? What does all that mean? We, we simplify it with the five voices and it makes team building so much better. And I think people overall are really creatures of of habit, right? I mean, we we have these tendencies that kind of pull us back into old ways. And I think that's why as we're trying to teach ourselves new habits and create those new neural pathways, it can be really challenging in that period of time. And so I'm curious, how do you coach people who navigate challenges or hard times or crises when they've started to develop new good positive habits how do you coach them to be able to navigate that and not not just fall back into the old ones? 
Yes. Excellent question, by the way. This is such a, this is a good one. And it's about self-mastering themselves. It's self-regulation. It's mastering that self-regulation, which by the way, I do have a freebie to give to the listeners on my, on my website. Um, there is a guide that talks about the 10 ways that you can self-regulate and master that. There are tools that are out there that can help you. And I'll just give you a couple of them. One is to really identify what the thought patterns that you are having. And that's, I take them through the Sabre method, which is a methodology, but quicker is that just breathing. When we can get into a deep controlled breath and we breathe, and I'm not just talking, I mean, we're all breathing now, but I'm talking deliberate breaths and we calm ourselves. We literally are changing our state. We're going from a protective state into an expansive state. We move from the the sympathetic, the fight, flight, or freeze response into a parasympathetic state of rest and digest where we can really focus and we can see things. So breath is one of the biggest ways that we can self-regulate quickly and with confidence. And then another quick one, a very quick one to give you is to look for things of gratitude, things that you are really grateful for. When we are grateful, truly grateful, we cannot be in a protective state. So there's a whole list on there and there's tons of other tools I could share, but for the sake of time, I'll just say there are ways that you can self-master that. The other thing though is more important is over a period of time, Sunny, when someone is changing a behavior, it will become automated for you over several months. Typically, it's about 66 days and longer and longer. It takes about 66 for it to become automated. It can take up to a year for some things, but we need to know something will throw us off. Like I said early on, if your why isn't big enough, you have to know what is going to trip you up. And that is a question I ask my clients when I first start working with them. What could get in your way? Let's get, let's talk about it now. So when we approach it, because guess what? It's going to happen. And when we get to that point, I want you to know here's, we're going to build up to that. And I'm going to show you what the tools are for you to be able to move out of that state quickly, because that's the goal. And the other thing is we got to be okay with being not okay. Hmm. most people are reacting because they don't feel good. We talked about that already. They they want to get away from that feeling. We have to be okay with not being okay and sitting through it. And so I teach them how to do that effectively and without judgment for themselves. And this way they can make powerful decisions and take back their control. And that's truly what we want is we want to be able to take back control for ourselves so we don't become reactionary. We become more curious and we respond with curiosity rather than jumping to a conclusion or acting with judgment with reacting. We can respond with curiosity instead, and that wins every time. I absolutely love that. In recognizing your own gray areas and, and really doing the work in your inner self, right, in, in life, and getting really clear on your mission and purpose, what has that opened up for you personally and professionally? Wow. Well, I look at my gray areas um, as such an unbelievable blessing in disguise. Nobody wants to go through hard times. Right. Nobody does. Um, so, I mean, by now, I think the listeners know I was a gray area drinker for years. Besides being a gray area drinker, I also had a gray area marriage. Four years ago, 
I'm married 34 years, by the way, um, this coming Saturday, but four years ago on our 30th wedding anniversary year, I told my husband I wasn't happy in the marriage anymore. And I wasn't. We had become roommates at best. This is one reason why I talk about marriage. And and Rob and I have really been open about this publicly, and we've shared our story, and we will continue to share our story because we think it's very important. Some couples may have thrown in the towel. You know, our kids are grown. They're out of the house. We're empty nesters at this point. We have been for quite some time. And yes, I started having uh, kids at 10, if, if you're wondering. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> But we we really had to dig deep. We were roommates at best. His head was down. He wasn't engaged. I wasn't engaged. The conversations had stopped. Intimacy, you know, was once a month at best. You know, we got to a place where it was very grim and, and very gray. We were heading into that gray area. So I look back on those two experiences, not to mention my gray area in my careers. I really was not happy in some of the careers choices that I had made over the years. And I look back on all of that now, and I look at it as such an unbelievable gift because God has really, really prepared me to do this work that I get to do today. I mean, it's an absolute joy and a blessing. I was built for this. I was meant to go through this. I 100% believe that, that this is my purpose, my mission, my why. It's my everything is to empower others to move out of the gray areas and do not settle for complacency. And truly, that's what a gray area is. We get we get very complacent. We get comfortable. We get stagnant. It's like idling. You don't want to live like that. Life is so full of richness that we get to have. And if we don't go after it, if we just settle, we become stagnant. And that is not where any of us want to be. Even if you say it's okay, it's not okay. You know it. You know you want more than that. It's uh, you said an important one. I think it's the perspective of seeing it through a lens of I get to, I get to experience yes. this. I I got to experience those gray areas so that or in service of being able to live this really rich life today. And I think I think that lens is so important. Yeah, it really you know it's it's a perspective shift, and it doesn't matter. Um, you know, in any area of your life, if, if there's something that you're doing right now that you're not excited about, still shifting your language to, I get to do this. I get to be, you know, if your kid's getting on your last love and nerve, right? My youngest son, oh my goodness, he was a bear for a while there when he was a little boy. And I thought, oh my gosh, if, if he makes it to be an adult, like it's going to be a miracle, right? Because I, you know, we really butted heads for a while. But I remember saying to myself, no, I get to be this kid's mom. Like he was given to me. And today, by the way, he is just the joy of my life. He's the sweetest boy. I can't even say boy anymore. He's a man. <laughs> man yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's so crazy to say it like that, but he is. But yeah, I mean, looking at every situation as you get to do it really changes your perspective. We go from complaining to gratitude. We can all grumble. We can all find something a fault if we wanted to. You know, just like if somebody cut you off in traffic. We could be very upset and flipping them off and, you know, cussing at them and, you know, honking the horn and doing all this crazy stuff. Or we could go, you know, I wonder if something's going on with that person that he wasn't paying attention, or I wonder if he's racing to the hospital because a loved one is not doing well. Like, who knows what somebody's story is to have the compassion and just, you know, kind of brush it off. And I know it's not always easy to do that. 
But the more times we practice that, the easier it becomes. It becomes part, again, it's, it's a habit that we can cultivate and it can be instilled within us and it becomes natural to us. So I think that's an important piece as well. How has your faith been an instrument that's led you throughout your life thus far? Well, early on, I didn't really have much faith, <laughs> to be honest. Um, didn't grow up with it. It was interesting to me that deep down, I always believed in God. I always knew that there was there was a power out there that was helping me through because I I should not be alive. There's no way. There was too many <laughs> too many situations I was in. Um, I went to twelve different schools in nine years. I bounced around quite a bit. Um, it was not a great childhood. I was beaten so badly in seventh and eighth grade that my parents didn't even recognize me. Um, it was a tough, tough childhood. And I look back again on those situations and think, how was that such a blessing for me? How can I turn that into something good? It wasn't until I got into my 30s, um, a neighbor had introduced me to Joyce Myers and and I really started following her and 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 she's so real and makes everything so practical and for me that's what it was about. I wasn't I went to Catholic high school by the way. I was kicked out of the public school. <laughs> Literally I was kicked out. So the only school left was go to a Catholic school and I wasn't Catholic. <laughs> so I got a taste of what that was like and um and you know it wasn't for me. And I, and I kind of, I was this lost sheep for so long. And so that's when Joyce came along, it was more practical living. And I thought, okay, I can apply this to my life. And honestly, Sunny, everything. I was asked this question um, not so long ago from Mark Thomas, who has a, a wonderful podcast called Evangelism on Fire. And he asked me the same question, how does God play a role in your business and your life? <laughs> and I, I kind of laughed when I'm typing. I'm like, uh, in every area, because if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for his grace, if it wasn't for the guidance and the mercy and the like literally the faith to get through some tough times, I would not be sitting here today. I feel that that is, that is so important. And while I'm a very strong Christian, and I will say that publicly, it's I kind of go through the back door in my business with it in terms of when I'm working with clients. It is always on my forefront of my mind, but I will meet somebody where they're at right. and I will protect those boundaries. And if I have an opportunity to share about how I feel, I will. And if I don't, I lead by example. To me, that is most important is that I show that kindness and love and support and I be the best that I can be for that person, for everyone that I come across for that matter. But I don't necessarily lead with it, but I don't hide it if somebody asks me. Right. That's for sure. Right. No, totally understandable. And and I think it's oftentimes about being the salt, right? And sometimes the salt is conversations or being an example of. And so it doesn't always have to be necessarily in, in someone's face or the top of the topic of conversation. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It could just be the way that we are, you know, our natural being, our energy. Um, I, I believe in like energetic transfer between people. We feel other people so well. And people know if you're genuine. Yeah. They know that you care about them. They could see right through it. I'm one of those people that you know. You could just look at me and know like how I'm feeling. I wear it on my sleeves. I wear it on my face. And people will know exactly what you believe and how you feel if if you're open 
and willing to share. And I'm an open book at this point. I mean, my gosh, all my <laughs> my life is on the internet at this point, <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. God called me to do it. So I'm doing it. There we so go. Here we are. <laughs> well, thank you yeah. so much, Carrie. I want to make sure everybody knows where to find you, where to follow you, check out your website. Can you share them information? Oh, thank you. Yeah, my website is Gray Tonic, G-R-A-Y. I have to say, I have to spell it because, you know, Gray can be spelled with an E as well, but it's Gray Tonic. And I just want to say, you know, the reason why it's called Gray Tonic is because tonic really means invigorate, inspire, strengthen, a pick-me-up, a boost. It's not just a mixer for gin, y'all. Like, <laughs> it really is this beautiful uh, elixir. So I really you know, that's why it's called great tonic. It's about, you know, how can, how can we move you through the gray areas of your life? But the other place to find me is I'm very active on LinkedIn. Check it out. I'm the only Carrie Schwer on Google. So I'm really easy to find. And I would love for you to connect with me. And if you do just, you could put Sunny or I heard you on her podcast. Um, and we'll definitely connect. Like I would love to have a conversation with anybody that wants to connect with me. I I'm very open to having conversations at any time. Yeah, definitely follow Carrie on LinkedIn. Check out her website. She puts out tons of really, really fantastic content. And so I encourage you guys to check her out. Carrie, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Sunny. Thank you so much for listening and for being here on this journey with me. I hope you'll stick around. If you liked this episode, it would mean the world for me if you would rate and review the podcast or share it with someone you know may need to hear this message. I love to hear from you all and want you to know that you can leave me a voicemail directly. If you go to my website, evokegreatness.com and go to the contact me tab, you'll just hit the big old orange button and record your message. I love the feedback and comments that I've been getting, so please keep them coming. I'll leave you with the wise words of author Robin Sharma. Greatness comes by doing a few small and smart things each and every day. It comes from taking little steps consistently. It comes from making a few small chips against everything in your professional and personal life that is ordinary, so that a day eventually arrives when all that's left is the extraordinary. <laughs>